Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're taking a break from 1 Peter as it is the Christmas season, and I'm going to upload a couple of Christmas messages that I've preached here at our church at Cedar Shoals, and um, I think they'll be a blessing to you as we stop to reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Matthew's account of the birth narrative. We are looking at the subject of Jesus' birth, and our hearts are filled with warmth as we travel in our minds back to the little town of Bethlehem at a nameless inn on a dark night. The Son of God would come into the world, taking on flesh and change the course of human history forever. I remind you that while this story gives us the warm Christmas fuzzies, And while everyone suddenly gets religion this time of year, that the manger is not the message. He was born in the shadow of the cross. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He lived for one purpose, and that was to die. Yes, he was born in a lowly manger amongst the animals in a dirty inn, but he made his way to a hill called Golgotha, and that is the true meaning of Christmas that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Gave him for what? To be a sacrifice for sin and appease the wrath of God. Yet we find the beginning of his earthly life here in Bethlehem. And so today I want to tell you the story of the birth of Jesus, the day of divine delivery. And as we'll see, that title is serves a twofold purpose, a play on words, because we call a baby being born, yeah, they're delivered. They go to the delivery room. But at the same time, there's another delivery that was in works here, and that was delivery the delivery of mankind from his sin. And so little play on words, a little dual meaning there with the day of divine delivery, the birth of Jesus. So the first thing we notice uh, in Matthew 1, 18, 23 through 25, which is where we're looking at, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew's account of the birth, is the divine miracle. So let's read those verses. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put away privately. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So it says the birth of Jesus was as follows or happened in this way. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, I want to stop right there. Mary was engaged to Joseph, but we have to get in the mindset of this culture and this time. Jewish betrothal in the ancient world was rather different than engagement here in 2022 Western culture. Um First of all, uh, the diff- one of the differences was there was a set time period 
of betrothal that usually, uh, barring some situation, was set for about 12 months. We have no such custom in our culture. Some people are engaged for a month. Some people are engaged for a year. Some people are engaged for a couple of months. I remember when John and I got married, I met her in July of uh, 2015. I proposed to her in August of 2015, and then we married in February of 2016, and we've been together ever since. And so, um, you know, that's up to the individuals in our culture, but it was not so in this day. Betrothal was a set time. Secondly, betrothal carried legal ramifications, okay? And engagement doesn't. You can be engaged today and not engaged tomorrow. Uh, you give a young man gives a girl a ring to be engaged. She can take the ring, throw the ring away, give it back, sell it. I mean, there there's no, as he said, she said, there's no, there's no legally uh, binding element of of our idea of engagement. It's it's just a verbal <laughs> promise to get married in the some sometime of the future. But it wasn't this way. To be betrothed in this day was legally binding, that if you broke this engagement, you had to actually get a legal, legally obtained divorce, certificate of divorce. Um, so you were as good as married in the eyes of the law, uh, yet without physical intimacy. The The we're all adults, we know what I'm talking about, when the two would enter the marriage bed, that would be the consummation of the marriage, and that would not take place until at the wedding, after the wedding, but for those first uh, 12 months, there was no physical intimacy, and this was done to prove fidelity on both, uh, on both accounts of each party, and so that being said, Mary was a virgin when she conceived uh, Jesus Christ. That is the divine miracle of the text. So first we see the divine miracle. It was a miracle. Now I want to define a miracle uh, for you. We often use that word flippantly. Uh, we'll look at something unlikely and we'll say, it's a miracle. Well, that's not what the word means uh, and that's not what is conveyed in Scripture. A, a true biblical miracle is when something that goes against the laws of nature happens, uh, then it has to be considered an act of God, a miracle. For example, virgins can't get pregnant, but Mary did. Therefore, that's a miracle. Um, people that have been dead for four days stay dead. Uh, but Lazarus got up. That's a miracle, okay? Um, we use the word flippantly. Uh, somebody gets cancer, but they survive. We say, it's a miracle. Well, it, it, God's healed them, and praise the Lord, but it's not actually a technical miracle because people recover from diseases all the time. A miracle in the biblical sense is when something that's literally impossible happens because as Jesus told the disciples with God nothing shall be 
impossible. So, um, this was the divine miracle. Now, there are those who claim that uh, this miracle is no big deal, uh, that you don't need to believe it, uh, such as uh, renowned heretic Andy Stanley. Uh, I will say this about, oh, handy Andy, the apple fell far from the tree. Uh, and then Episcopal Bishop John Sprong, who doesn't believe in the virgin birth. I don't know how you can be a bishop in the Episcopal Church and not believe in the virgin birth. But anyways, it is a fundamental of the faith because if you deny the virgin birth of Christ, you're denying the deity of Christ. Because had he been born with a human father and a human mother, then he's not God. And he claimed to be God. So now you're calling him a liar. Uh, and also calling him a sinner, because in order to bring sinless flesh into the world, uh, we know that the <clears throat> uh, he had to come in this way, untouched by sin. His birth had to be immaculate; it had to be like any, unlike any other. And also, uh, this divine miracle, uh, it, it was of the Holy Ghost. Okay, and we don't know the way it was done but we know the procedure of the divine miracle was by way of the holy ghost and moving past that we see the prophecy of the divine miracle this was predicted years before in isaiah seven fourteen, where isaiah wrote therefore the lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name emmanuel and so the procedure of the divine miracle, we see the prophecy of the divine miracle, but we also see the place of the divine miracle was also predicted. Micah 5, 2, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. But not only do we see the divine miracle in verse 18, in verse 19 we see the decision of mercy. As we go along in the story, we now turn to Joseph's perspective. Now, um, the virgin birth is a huge deal. I mean, we, we've given it 10 minutes of this podcast already, and, and could you could do a whole entire sermon on just verse 18, but we don't, we don't have that kind of time. That's not the point here. But when we come to verse 19, we're now... Uh, as Matthew is recounting this, we're now tra uh, shifted to Joseph's perspective. Joseph is placed in a predicament. So we see the decision of mercy. Joseph could have made her a public example. In fact, it was not only Jewish law, but Roman law also, uh, that if somebody was caught in adultery, if the woman was caught in adultery, to make her an example in front of everybody, I don't know why I'm yawning, it's only 12 o'clock, but anyways, uh, to make her an example publicly. Now, you have to realize that this, this divorce in our day and divorce in this day, again, totally different. You you can get a divorce easier than you can get married in, in South Carolina, where I live in my day, uh, in this day, rather, but as as we say, Back in Joseph's day, not so. Uh, if if a woman was divorced, that was a black mark on her 
in society, no man is going to want to marry her. She was going to be known as an adulteress. Remember, in Jewish culture, uh, state and church, if you will, probably should say synagogue, but are very much intertwined. In fact, the Ro- even though the Romans uh, were in charge of the Jews at this time, they fell under the leadership in the auspice of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire did allow them a certain amount of freedom to have their own rules and regulations for their society within a society uh being the jews and so this was a black mark she would have been kicked out of the synagogue uh she would have been shunned um most likely disowned by her family and in and in a culture where almost no women had jobs I mean, there there are there were a few. I mean, we see like Lydia in the Book of Acts. She was a wealthy businesswoman who uh, owned her own. I uh, believe it. What was it? Dye that she was involved with, but um, not the case for Mary, a young Jewish girl. Um, and so, it, this was literally going to ruin her life, and yet Joseph made a decision of mercy. You see, Joseph offers us a perfect example of the balance between law and grace. Law said you have to divorce her, and he was going to put her away. Okay? He was going to follow the law because it was the right thing to do. Because as far as he knows, he knew and she knew that they hadn't uh, been and you know, and so the only, as far as he knew, she had cheated try to say that several times fast but anyways uh as far as he knew she had been with another man but at the same time he loved her and he did not want to ruin her life and so he found a way to balance law and grace i'm going to put you away but i'm going to do it privately not publicly And so we see a decision of mercy. Joseph was a righteous man, a just man. He was a law-abiding Jew. He was a true Old Testament saint. Why do you say Old Testament? His story's in the New Testament. Because he lived before Christ was born and before the cross. Therefore, he is part. he lived during the time of the Old Covenant. Next, not only the decision of mercy, we see the dreaming message, verse 20. Joseph goes to sleep as he's thinking about these things, but he has a dreaming message. So look at verse 20. It says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so he has a messenger come to him. We know the word angel uh, from its root, from its Greek word, angelos. Angelos means messenger, and that's exactly what happened here. The angel served as a messenger, which we see that throughout the scripture um it was angels that informed 
Mary, when she got to the tomb that that Jesus was risen, it was angels that informed the disciples in the book of Acts that Jesus would come again in like manner. Um, it was an angel of the Lord that Jacob wrestled with, uh, which I believe that was the pre-incarnate Christ. But anyways, that's a different subject for a different day. The point is this, God uses angels to be his messengers. And so the same thing's done here. We know later on we'll find in uh, the rest of Scripture that it was the angel Gabriel specifically, but nevertheless, God sends an angel with a message. And that brings us to really the big point of the day of delivery, the divine miracle, the decision of mercy, the dreaming message. But in verse 21, we find the delivery of mankind. What was the point of all this? Well, verse 21 tells us the point of all this. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The whole reason Jesus came was to die for sin. This is the true meaning of Christmas. He went to the manger in the shadow of the cross. He came to die. He was swaddled in grave clothes from his birth to foreshadow his burial. Even in the gifts we find scents and oils, frankincense and myrrh that were used often to mask the odor of the deceased. Everything about him pointed to the cross. He would save the people from their sins, but how? By dying. By shedding his life's blood on a cruel tree, by hanging in the balance between heaven and hell, drinking the wrath of God from the bitter cup down to the last drop, every ounce reserved and deserved by all of humanity. But for the elect's sake, for those who believe, he drank every drop. And now those who are saved shall never, ever, ever, ever face the wrath of God. For we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And so we see the delivery of mankind. Have you been delivered? You say, well, this is uh, kind of serious for a Christmas mess. Ladies and gentlemen, Christmas is all about the cross. We've believed the lie that Christmas is about the manger. Christmas actually has very little to do with the manger. It's mostly about the cross. Because the same Isaiah, several hundred years before the birth of Christ, who wrote, A virgin shall conceive, this same Isaiah went on in chapter 53 to write this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. The birth of Jesus points to the deity of Christ theologically. But practically and with shoes on it refers and points to the salvation of man. Because that's the very reason he came. I mean if Say, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
That's the whole point. I mean, I, I, I love Christmas as much as anybody. The warm fuzzies, the, the Christmas movies, the hot chocolate, uh, the food, the present. I love every bit of it. Totally not the point of Christmas. <laughs> the Christmas is about the cross. The world was in darkness, and so God did something about it. That's the point of Christmas. I hope and I pray that you haven't missed the Christ of Christmas. Thank you for listening. And until next time, God bless you.